Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. This is an archive edition of Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio. I'm Charity Nebbe. There's Fortnite, Grand Theft Auto, Call of Duty, Doom, and so many more. Violent video games are wildly popular, and they have been for decades. That means that generations of children and adults have played these games. And parents, teachers, gamers, and many others wonder, how do these games affect the people who play them? In the new book, Game On! Sensible Answers About Video Games and Media Violence, a team of research psychologists has pooled their resources in an attempt to answer all of our negative questions about these games and other violent media. Two of those psychologists are with me now. Doug Gentile is a professor of psychology at Iowa State University. Hello, Doug. Hi, Charity. I thought we were going to spend the hour talking about how cute your dog is. <laughs> All right. I think I'll talk to Craig instead. Craig Anderson is also here. He is a distinguished professor of psychology at Iowa State University. Hello, Craig. Hi, Charity. I can confirm that Doug has a notepad in front of him filled with questions about your dog. <laughs> Excellent. Well, this will be a different hour than I was planning, but uh, let's let's start with my questions. The two of you have joined forces with a whole bunch of other psychologists to answer these questions, the kinds of questions that you get asked all the time. And the place you start in the book is really with explaining why you started doing this research. I think because a lot of people question your motivations. They assume that you're doing this research because you want to ban all violent media. But Craig, why don't you tell us why you started doing this kind of research? Actually, I kind of backed into this uh, area without really quite realizing what I was getting into. I was working on theoretical research about aggression uh, and was in the process of, of trying to integrate a whole bunch of theoretical models into one simpler and comprehensive model. And it occurred to me while I was working on, on this model, which I called the general aggression model, um, that such a model needed to uh, fully understand what we knew about media violence effects. I, I discovered that it was a huge research literature um, and started reading into it. And then I had students who were interested in doing a, a new research project but were kind of stumbling around, you know, thinking about, well, what, what should I do it on? And, and we started doing some media violence research uh, because that just happened to be something I was interested in at the time. And, and after we got into it, it's turned out almost impossible to get away from the media <laughs> violence literature. Because there are so many questions to, to try to understand. That's exactly right. There's so many questions and there's so much misinformation being given out by the uh, media industries themselves, by, in some sense, uh, consumers of violent media, of, of which I am one, <laughs> and by a few, I guess I should call them scientists, uh, but who consistently deny and have made careers out of denying uh, what are uh, actually real effects that the research community in general recognizes and has recognized in multiple major reports. Interesting. Well, Doug, how did you get involved in this? Yeah, I, I sort of backed my way into it uh, as well. I left academia entirely for many years. I when I did market research, and my favorite client when I was in market research was a little nonprofit organization 
called the National Institute on Media and the Family that was starting up in the mid-90s. And after a couple of years, they hired me away to be director of research. And in that role, it was my job to do studies that would answer the questions parents, educators, pediatricians, politicians had about media. And often, at that time in particular, the research on video games was really young. Uh, and so a lot of the questions were about gaming. A lot of them were about media violence. You said, Craig, that you are a consumer of violent media. Doug, you have said the same thing in the past. And, and people do accuse you, especially gamers who are concerned about people trying to ban the games that they love, uh, will accuse you of you know, being out to get them or you know, coming up with reasons why people shouldn't play these games. But you both approach this from a place of at least minimum fandom, right, Doug? <laughs> Not only do I play many of these games myself, but I've voice acted for uh, games. I have written code for games. Uh, so, yeah, I don't dislike them at all. I just think that we should be honest about uh, what the effects are, the same way that we struggled for 50 years to get you know, cigarette companies, to be honest, to say, yes, this product can be dangerous. So now that you know that, you get to make a, an, an informed decision. All right. Well, let's uh, we'll get into some of the research and, and some of the things that we do know about violent media in, in a moment. But I want to talk for just a moment about something that I never bring up in interviews, which is the format of your book, which doesn't sound very interesting. But you have created a, a book that operates on two very different levels. You pose a question, you answer it in lay terms in really a relatively short paragraph, and then you answer it in a much longer form with the, the thoroughness of a psychology textbook. So where did the idea for bringing together this team of psychologists and putting such an usual book uh, together come from, Craig? That's a good question. Uh, I've been thinking about doing such a book for over 15 years. Basically got distracted by something else that needed to be done. And, and, but over time, uh, it, it became clear that what was needed uh, is a book that answers a lot of these frequently asked questions. But we didn't want to do here's what we think kind of book. That is, we wanted to be sure that anyone who looks at the book can find the relevant research references if they want to on any particular question. But like I said, we've been working on this for the you know, basic idea for a long time. And it, it finally came together when uh, Courtney Plant, who is the uh, uh, first author on this book, came to Iowa State uh, as a postdoctoral student. You know, one of his tasks was to look into uh, creating such a book. And he, he essentially created the uh, format that, that the final version has in it. And I think it's a really you know, smart format because this is a topic people have been interested in for a long time. Is, but, uh, and the problem is we know lots about it. And that's a problem because where where does all that knowledge go? It goes into dusty academic journals. And so no one learns about it, or if you actually you know, find them, the problem is scientists talk like scientists. <laughs> and so we uh, are not always the easiest to understand, not, you know, not 
always able to put it in nice, clear terms that everyone can understand. And so this book... And that's, and that's where my wife comes in. She points out to all of us that we're not normal people. <laughs> and so this book was really, especially that, you know, the short answers are an attempt to just in clear, plain language, here's what we know, here's what we don't know. Let's define our terms a little bit uh, here, and then we're, we'll get into some of those answers that you have. But when we talk about violent media, I think people understand what we're talking about when we talk about violent video games. But you've also studied the effects of other kinds of violent media. So define that for me. What are we talking about? The, uh, the best definition of violent media, the way, the way most media researchers use it, is... is that it's uh, uh, media in which characters intentionally try to harm uh, other characters. It does not require blood and gore and screams and you know, and that's where there's a lot of misinformation, uh, 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 including misinformation uh, or misunderstanding by some uh, researchers in the community to think you know violent media have to have all you know the blood and gore. And, you know, tissue hanging out with broken bones and all. No, no, no. Uh, uh, you go back historically to uh, uh, television violent uh, research. Uh, they were looking at children's cartoon shows, which if you do a frequency count, how often are characters harming other characters? Uh, turns out children's uh, uh, cartoon shows uh, in the past uh, actually had the highest rate of, of uh, harmful acts of, of violence. Uh, they were more harmful than the TV Western. You know, so they had more violent media um, or more violent acts than, than uh, any other type of show. Right, like the Westerns where there were shootouts. But That's, Yeah, you'd have, you'd have maybe two or three shootouts uh, in a half-hour show, but in a children's cartoon show, you might have 30 or 40 acts of violence. I'm Charity Nebbe. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back to the conversation in a moment. You're listening to an archive edition of Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. You're listening to an archive edition of Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we're talking about the influence of violent media on behavior. We're talking about violent video games and other kinds of violent media. Two of my the authors of a new book called Game On, Sensible Answers About Video Games and Media Violence, are here today. Doug Gentile, a professor of psychology at Iowa State University, and Craig Anderson, a distinguished professor of psychology at Iowa State University. And just before the break, we were defining different kinds of violent media. So I think that it's also important for us to talk about what you actually study. And, and Doug, why don't you tackle this one? You know, we talk about violent video games, we talk about violent media, but you are not looking at, you know, whether playing a violent video game where you shoot people turns you into a shooter. You're looking at how it changes your behavior. So I, I think we probably need to uh, break down the definition of uh, aggressive behavior versus violent behavior and, and tell us what you actually are looking for, Doug. Yeah. 
And, and this is an important distinction, that you know, what is the distinction between aggression and violence? And aggression, is, as Craig already mentioned, is properly defined as any behavior. So that could be a verbal behavior, something you say. It could be a relational behavior, a uh, way you manipulate other people. Uh, or it could be a physical behavior that's intended to harm the other person, and the victim would prefer not to be harmed. And that's a pretty clean definition. You know, accidents, therefore, are not aggression. Acts of God, not aggression. Uh, most sports, not aggression, um, because it, it requires an intent to harm. Now, violence is a real special subtype of aggression. It's physical only, and it's extreme, such that if successful, it would result in severe bodily damage or death. Now, most people experience a fair amount of aggression uh, in a given week. Uh, people, you know, this is in the form of sarcasm and snarky comments. It's in the form of road rage behaviors or obscene gestures or, you know, uh, the cold shoulder, you know, having rumors spread. Kids do things that are pretty easy to label this way, such as, you know, I'm having a party and you're not invited. All of those are true aggression and they are truly harmful. And that's the type of aggression that most people actually come into contact with in their lives. And that's what I tend to study is this you might think of as playground level aggression. And partly because that's where I think most of the action is that uh, media violence is not going to take a normal kid and turn them into a, a mass shooter. It's not that big an effect, thank God. Uh, <laughs> uh, to be able to do something that extreme, you need multiple risk factors, uh, not just one like media violence. And media violence isn't the biggest. It's not the smallest. It's about the same size uh, if you go by, say, the 2001 U.S. Surgeon General's report on media violence or on youth violence. It's right in there about the same size as uh, coming from a broken home. Uh, and so it's not going to push a kid totally over the edge. What happens is it starts changing the way you see the world. It starts changing the way uh, you think. It uh, changes what you think would be an appropriate response when you are provoked. And so it just subtly shifts the odds that you are more willing to respond aggressively when provoked. There are people who say, okay, if you look at the correlation between people who use this kind of media and people who are more aggressive, you're going to find it. But maybe the people who are drawn to this kind of media were more aggressive in the first place, a chicken egg kind of argument. But you've actually been able to study that and, and tease that out, right? Yes, that certainly is the first sort of obvious thing for scientists to look at, and, and in fact, scientists have been looking at that question for over 50 years now. And what we, what we find in lots of different studies is that the exposure to media violence does increase, it, it essentially causes an increase in the likelihood of aggressive behavior, both in the short term and in the long term, there is also some evidence that people who are more aggressive by, you know, whether you want to call it by nature, personality, or whatever, tend to be more attracted to violent media. So it, it sort of looks like both directions uh, are causal, both directions are true, but the evidence supporting media violence as a cause of later aggression, the evidence for that is much stronger than the evidence that violent people are simply drawn 
to violent media. You also see that uh, there is a gender breakdown in really when you look at violent video games specifically and who is drawn to violent video games. And there can be a million different reasons for that. But we do see that males engage with this kind of media more often than females do. But you've also looked at that and to see what kind of effect this has on both males and females, because some people will come at you and say, well, you know, this is men have too much testosterone. They're just more violent by nature. Again, this isn't the video games. This is a chicken or egg kind of question as well. So how do we see gender playing into this effect? Well, you just mentioned a couple of the other important risk factors, you know, biological sex, amount of testosterone. These are things that are also uh, related to the likelihood of aggression. And you could imagine that perhaps you know, boys, therefore, are more susceptible to the effect or are more vulnerable to an effect of, of other risk factors, such as media violence exposure. So this is one of the surprises for me in my career is that I, I think I expected to find that some types of kids are more influenced than other types of kids. Uh, and you could do this along lines of you know, male-female. You could do it along lines of age, such as you think younger kids maybe are more vulnerable. You could think maybe already aggressive kids are more vulnerable. You might think that maybe American kids are more vulnerable to than, say, Japanese kids. This is not what we find. It's not that some studies don't have hints here and there, but they're so few and so sporadic that they kind of look like within the margin of error. And so to, to take your specific question, yes, boys are much higher likelihood to want to play violent video games. And they are also much higher likelihood to be physically aggressive, whereas girls tend to be more relationally aggressive. But what we find is the same size of the effect that you know, when girls do play these games or when they do watch a lot of media violence, those, become, those tend to be the girls who hit. Uh, those are the girls who are more willing to be relationally aggressive as well. So the effect seems the same. And at first this surprised me until I realized, what are we talking about here? We're talking about learning. What you practice, you get better at. You practice being vigilant for enemies. You practice responding aggressively when provoked. Then you're going to get better at that. And do boys and girls learn differently? No. Do Japanese kids and American kids learn differently? No. Do you know, aggressive kids and non-aggressive kids learn different? No. It's just how the brain works all across the world. I'm talking with Doug Gentile and Craig Anderson. They are two of the authors of Game On, Sensible Answers About Video Games and Media Violence. And we have this question from Sean. Why do video games get targeted as being a bad influence so much more than movies and TV? And is that fair or accurate. And I think historically speaking, I don't know that video games have been targeted a whole lot more, but that's what seems to be the most popular right now. But why do you think uh, we focus so much on video games? Well, it's actually an interesting question, and it's one that, that does come up uh, fairly frequently. Uh, I would say, first of all, that they're not actually targeted more. They receive more research attention now than than in the past because, well, first of all, they didn't exist uh, 20 years ago when a lot of the research was being done on TV uh, and, and movie violence. Also, the answer to whether or not screen violence, TV violence, and say movies, uh, has an impact, that was answered clearly uh, uh, some 30 years ago. Uh, and so for that reason, uh, researchers aren't particularly interested in rehashing what 
several hundred studies have already found. In fact, you can't, you can't get published that way. Interestingly, when I first started doing uh, video game research, my co-authors and I had a hard time getting some of our initial studies published because reviewers and uh, journal editors often said, well, isn't this just the same thing that uh, we already know from the television and, and movie violence literature? And to some extent, the answer is yes, it is the same. And that's also one of the reasons why it was very, very difficult and continues to be difficult to get research funding on video game effects is because the research community sort of says, well, we already know all this, so why should we, why should we spend scarce resources studying it again? Um, so again, back to the, orig uh, the, the original question, uh, video games haven't really been uh, singled out any more than other, other forms by the research community. Now, parents are more concerned about it now, in part because uh, their kids are spending so much time on video games. It's become such a dominant part of their life. Uh, I'll give the cynical answer, too. Greg gave a nice <laughs> reasoned answer. You know, in the country, we have not had the political will to actually look at how to stop uh, violence. You know, after every major school shooting, you know, there's a hue and a cry. Uh, and what the, the strategy seems to be and it does seem to me at this point to be pretty strategic, is that the gun industry will say, look, it's video games are the problem. And the video game industry will say, no, no, uh, it's uh, mental health that's the problem. And the mental health industry will say, no, no, it's access to guns that are the problem. And they divide and conquer. And we always ask the question, what was the cause of this school shooting? And the minute we've asked that question, we've lost, because the, the operative word there is the. There is no single cause. For, for almost any human behavior. We're much more complicated creatures than that. And by asking the question that way, it allows us to do nothing while we look like we're really concerned about the problem. Whereas gun violence kills thousands of people every year and we continue to do nothing about it. And it's partly because we have people who say, well, uh, you know, it's video games. And, and that just allows the spiraling of blame so that nothing ever actually happened. I want to bring up another point. Speaking as a parent, for me, the idea of them playing a game where they are role-playing violent behavior, where they are the violent actor in the game or one of the violent actors in the game, just feels more concerning to me than watching something passively that is violent. You have research about that. Does that sort of role-playing part of a violent video game change how the violence affects you? That's an interesting question, and I wish I had a clear answer. We've speculated for a long time that video games are at least somewhat different from TV and movies in that, as a consumer, you have to assume the role of a particular character. And as that character, you must um, behave aggressively or violently within the game in order to advance in the game. Uh, and we've thought that, well, that probably leads to better learning uh, or faster learning of the attitudes and beliefs and decision-making processes that, that are ultimately uh, uh, related to increases in aggression in the real world. Uh, unfortunately, it's very, very difficult to um, do 
research that specifically compares the uh, effect of, say, a violent video game versus the effect of an equivalently violent, uh, say, TV show. And the key word there is equivalently violent. How do you define, you know, again, this is, this is the kind of Picayune stuff that researchers uh, <laughs> uh, muddle over. I've We'd been muddled. love to argue over that we've, stuff. Yeah, yeah, we've argued over that uh, uh, for well over a decade. You know, how do, how do we do this? And there isn't a clear answer, the, uh, and there probably isn't one correct answer to how do we, uh, how do we compare those effect sizes in a clean and theoretically appropriate way. That said, to the extent that where the research is a little clearer is when uh, people identify with the character. And this is true whether it's video game or a TV show or a movie. They do tend to learn more from that character, adopt that character's attitudes and such. And so it has a bigger effect if you identify with the character. And maybe that happens a little more with games, but we're really not sure yet. We're going to take another short break. We'll be back in just a moment. Doug Gentile and Craig Anderson are here with me today. They're two of the authors of the new book, Game On, Sensible Answers About Video Games and Media Violence. I'm Charity Nebbe. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back to the conversation in a moment. You're listening to an archive edition of Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. I'm Charity Nebbe, and you're listening to an archive edition of Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio. This hour, we're talking about the effects of violent video games and other kinds of violent media on behavior. There's a new book out. It's called Game On, Sensible Answers About Video Games and Media Violence. A team of research psychologists has gotten together to create this book that answers pretty much all of the questions that parents, teachers, politicians, the general public other gamers have about how these games affect us or how this media affects us. Doug Gentile is a professor of psychology at Iowa State University. Craig Anderson is a distinguished professor of psychology at Iowa State University. And uh, we have this question from Angela in Des Moines. She says, in your book, have you explored the correlation between the degree of violence and realism in violent media, fantasy violence versus realistic violence, and the degree of aggressive behaviors that might result from exposure? And you explore that to a great degree. So what do we know about sort of fantasy, unrealistic violence versus more realistic violence? Uh, it's another really good question. And, and of course, it's a frequently asked question. <laughs> uh, uh, you might think that uh, the effects would be uh, much smaller if uh, you know, for, for more fantasy, more unrealistic violence. And in fact, we frequently get uh, people saying, oh, I can tell the difference between uh, fantasy and reality, therefore I'm not affected by uh, violent media, violent video games. Uh, and while I wish that were true, the, the fact is that that is not true. In fact, we, did, we published a study uh, actually in our first book uh, that came out in 2007, our first book on, on uh, violent video games, uh, in which we had children 
elementary school children and college students uh, come into a laboratory setting. They're randomly assigned to play either a uh, violent children's game uh, or a nonviolent children's game. Uh, and at a later point in time, we're given the opportunity to uh, behave aggressively, at least they thought they were uh, behaving aggressively against uh, another person. Uh, but even the college students showed an increase, roughly a 40% increase in aggressive behavior as a function of playing the violent uh, fantasy game versus the, the nonviolent fantasy game. So, you know, bottom line is ability to distinguish fantasy from reality does not protect people from the effects of violent media. There are parts of violent media that also have a, a kind of a pro-social message. I think about, I mean, one of the most violent films that I have ever seen in my entire life was Saving Private Ryan. Uh, but nobody would condemn that as, as being a violent movie for the sake of violence. Is there a difference when you experience violence in media if there's a different message to the violence? Yes, definitely. And it's and this is part of the nuance that often gets lost in this conversation, that not all violence, is, you know, media violence is the same, and it doesn't all have the same effect. And in uh, a movie like that, it, it's telling the truth about violence, which is that violence damages not just the victim, but also the perpetrator, also the victim's families and the perpetrator's families, and the ripples extend out and, you know, across a wide network of people, and then kind of forever <laughs> it damages you. And when you see the reality of it, it doesn't glamorize it. It doesn't, no one walks out of Saving Private Ryan going, hey, let's go to war, yay! Uh, but you, you see uh, Terminator, and it looks, you know, exciting and, you know, uh, and glamorous. You, see, you know, you, you watch a James Bond film, uh, which I've just watched all of them to, to lead up to the new one, and now it's been delayed by six months. Uh, so, so I'm feeling kind of aggressive about that. Uh, but, but there where it's shown as stylish and humorous and, uh, you know, from attractive perpetrators and, and there seem to be very, you know, the consequences are minimal or they're certainly minimized. And that's the type of uh, media violence that ends up trying, you know, starting to change the attitudes people have about violence from it's something you should always avoid to, well, it, you know, it, it, when it's done by the good guy, it's okay. Dave is on the line in Norwalk. Hi, Dave. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. So if the brain can't distinguish between reality and a trained event and, say, a violent video game, my question is about, um, I mean, the simulations I was in the military um, they're like a video game but they're in the algorithm is built in things like a Geneva Convention excuse me I'm just running upstairs and um, whereas on something like Grand Theft Auto you're robbing banks and shooting hookers and so I mean I think it's clear to me that if you're tapping the same part of the brain and giving it a pathway to this violence that you can't say that those games don't teach violence, but I'm not a 
certainly not an esteemed scholar like you guys, and I'd like a little more insight on that. I'll take my answer off the air. Thanks. Thanks a lot for your call, Dave. Yeah. um, It's interesting that uh, a lot of the, uh, especially the early, the most popular video games uh, were actually uh, derived from uh, simulations that were, in fact, paid for by the uh, Department of Defense. Uh, uh, you know, to create simulations for military training. Uh, it, you know, uh, one of the the points that uh, I'd like to make about you know about this particular question is that in the training, uh, whether you're training military people, uh, uh, you know, by using simulations of uh, essentially gaming simulations or whatever, those training scenarios typically include a lot of control issues, right? Uh, they're actually training people not just when to shoot, but when not to shoot. Uh, and those games are frequently used to train, uh, for example, small unit tactics, communication uh, between people, say, within squads or platoons or you know, e- even at the company level. Um, but when those games uh, are marketed to the general public, those kinds of, those aspects of the games are removed because they're not as exciting for you know, your typical 10-year-old or 14-year-old uh, boy. So all this idea you know, about training about training restraint and, and, and training control over aggressive responses, all that tends to disappear when, when it becomes a commercial product. Uh, and and the, uh, uh, the, the Dave, I think it was, who called in, um, is, is right that... that even in games where it's the good guys doing the killing, uh, whether they're killing terrorists or, or killing the enemy, killing Nazis, or just generally killing bad guys, the message that is being sent uh, uh, is that it's okay uh, when you're the good guy to behave aggressively or violently. Uh, I, we pretty much always think we're the good guy. We always think we're the good right. guy or we wouldn't, we wouldn't be angry. So there are a couple other things that that you talk about as being reactions to violent media that we haven't talked about. I mean, we've talked about aggressive behavior, so whether that's rudeness or or something more, but also getting desensitized to violence can be a very serious effect of of this kind of media as well. And it, it can really reduce our ability to empathize. Tell me more about that. Yeah, and this is where perhaps the realism does matter a lot, that when we're talking about uh, aggressive behavior, at least in a short-term experimental context, there doesn't seem to be much difference whether you just saw something cartoonish and cute or whether you, it was you know, photorealistic. Uh, for desensitization, that probably matters a whole lot more, that you get desensitized uh, more if it is more realistic. Um, there are, there are 19 scientifically documented effects of media violence on viewers. Um, and, and these can be summed up in a couple different ways. You know, uh, the one we've been talking most about is that you're more willing to behave aggressively when provoked. Uh, another is that you actually start seeing the world as a scarier place, that you think you're more likely to be a victim than you really are. Uh, a third is that uh, you get desensitized. Um, and not only desensitized to other media violence, but also desensitized to aggression in the real world. So you start 
being a little less caring. So uh, there have been studies, for example, where after uh, playing a violent video game, uh, you're, you're talking to someone and they say, you know, knock over a cup of pencils or they drop, uh, uh, you know, their papers. And people who just, you know, saw the violent thing uh, are just less helpful. They don't even see the opportunity to help. They've become desensitized to other people's distress in a way that they're just not noticing the opportunity. And I think that's actually where the, you know, the biggest effects of media violence are is in just slightly changing our perceptions that we see th harmful things as less harmful than they really are. And we don't even see opportunities where we could help just because we've not been practicing paying attention to that. Toward the end of the book, you left me with what is my greatest concern and you reinforced that it should continue to be my greatest concern, which is just the vast amount of screen time that kids are engaging in. You seem to consider that to be a much graver risk than even the violent video games. Well, I, I don't. Yeah, the book may come across that way. Uh, 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 but there's really two things that... Uh, parents really need to be very, very focused on. One is simply amount of screen time. Uh, and that includes uh, even positive uh, screen things, right? There are things that, that kids need to learn by actually interacting with other kids. Uh, we also know that uh, very high screen time is related to attention deficit disorder uh, uh, and similar kinds of impulse control kind of disorders. At this point, we don't know for sure exactly what aspect of screen time does this. Um, my belief is that it has to do primarily with rapid, uh, rapidly changing screens. Uh, that uh, whether it's TV shows or movies or video games, if everything is happening very, very rapidly. Uh, if, if the images and the sounds and everything are changing very rapidly, what, what is happening to the brain is that it's learning to be ready to change things very rapidly, you're, uh, uh, but you're not actually training the ability to uh, delay actions uh, uh, very well. Uh, so, for example, some of the most positive television shows have been things like Sesame Street, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Blue's Clues. Uh, those are all pretty slow-paced kinds of, of uh, media, and they're not relying on uh, quick changes in imagery, which automatically right, attracts a kid's attention, or they're not relying on uh, rapid changes in volume or sounds. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why those shows tend to be very, very good for kids. But again, so there's the, the, the two things are, you know, we, we need to be concerned about how much time, but the, we also need to be concerned about the actual content. And content is not just, uh, you know, violent versus nonviolent, but, you know, what other kind of messages might be uh, sent. Uh, and so, you know, we prefer the parents to take a close look at any kind of media that they're their children may may be uh, exposed to or may want to be exposed to and and to consider both you know what what kind of lessons are actually in the media uh, but also uh, even if you're doing a good job of, of screening content you also need to be mindful about the amount of time 
And uh, we have only about 20 seconds left here. But, Doug, I'll give you an opportunity to repeat some advice that you've shared on this show before, that one of the easiest ways to uh, limit the kind of violent content that your child is consuming is to make sure those devices are in public spaces and not behind closed doors. Yeah. And and when we put media, we privatize it, uh, parents are less able to monitor and be consistent. And it seems to be if... Uh, the media are in children's bedrooms. It's like a turbocharger for all of the other effects. So that is one of the simplest things parents can do is get them out of kids' bedrooms. All right. Doug Gentile and Craig Anderson, two of the authors of Game On, Sensible Answers About Video Games and Media Violence. Thank you both for being here today. Uh, thanks for having us. This is Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio.